Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. What's up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Got a good show for you here today. We're going to talk about all kinds of good stuff. We've got Kevin Broom of the So Wizards podcast and Bolts Forever on here today. And we're just going to go through a couple smaller items and, and quicker topics that are Wizards related and things like that about sort of their process and their draft and their offseason. But then, you know, with the recent news that Donovan Mitchell has been traded to the Cavs, we're going to talk about the other sort of disgruntled potential stars that could be next on the market, who the Wizards should keep their eye on for the future, other names that they should be considering trading for in the wake of that Mitchell trade. There's a lot of pieces on Utah that might be on the market that maybe could be had cheaply. So we'll kind of go through that list of guys. And then we've had some fan questions about or fan discussion about the notion of adding like veteran locker room presence versus having a young kind of untapped high upside guy kind of felt the last couple of roster spots. And well, realistically, the Wizards don't have any roster spots, but if they did open one up, who are some names that they should consider? Or are there any people in the free agent market that they should be looking to kind of better utilize their last roster spot instead of somebody like maybe a Vernon Carey Jr. who might not have a long-term future with the team? So we'll go through some of those and just some other like, hey, these guys aren't quite stars, but they are maybe better trade targets, good third, fourth starter kind of guys that might really fill out this roster and might be somebody they could actually get with the package of picks and players they could actually put together. So the the Mitchell thing, they were always a long shot because they couldn't string a lot of picks together the way that the Cavaliers and Knicks could, but could they go out and get OG and Anobi or somebody like that for a, you know, a more reasonable package of players and, and picks, you know, we'll, we'll talk through those and a couple other names. So we'll get to that. A couple of quick notes, you know, last episode, we talked about the fact that Denny hadn't really been dominating FIBA World Cup qualifying competition, and, and that was a bad sign. He followed that up with two really good games in Eurobasket play, so that's good. Third game, not quite as good. But, you know, we we just we want to say, hey, look, it's good to see some positive signs. He looked a little more confident in two of those games. He was putting the ball on the floor, some like pull-up threes. That's the stuff we really want to see from this kind of, you know, summer experience for him. It's just him working on some stuff and showing improvement, showing development, and showing the skills that hopefully he was working on through Hanlon. And I think, you know, regardless of kind of the lack of consistency he's shown, at least we're seeing some of those skills demonstrated. So just want to give him a little shout out for immediately playing better after we question his play. So shout out to Denny. Hopefully that's something he can kind of build on and carry into the season. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just kind of see how that goes. So we'll keep following that for the rest of Eurobasket play and, and we'll give you an update at the end. Just also want to mention John Wall here for a second. Uh, by now, everybody's kind of seen this probably that follows the Wizards, but John admitted that he'd had some suicidal thoughts after losing his mom, his grandmother, dealing with all the injuries, not being able to play, and just global circumstances like COVID, I think, you know, really rocked everybody. So just a lot to happen to one person all at once. And I think it's a reminder that, well, one, NBA players are people, and no matter how much money you have, you still have problems, and that's okay. Uh, and and you may not be in as good a situation financially as Wall is, but even if your life is in, in pretty good shape overall, it's okay to be you're not in the best place. So 
Wall said, this is the darkest place I've ever been in. At one point, I thought about committing suicide, tearing my Achilles, my mom being sick, my mom passing, my grandma passed a year later, all this in the midst of COVID. I mean, that that's a tough run for, for anybody. It does sound like he's doing well now. You mentioned he's getting help. Just kudos to John for just being publicly vulnerable. I think if just him speaking out publicly helps even one person know that they're not alone and encourages them that it's okay to get help. I just think that's a great thing. So good on him and good on Gortat for coming out and having his back. You know, then things ended things ended a little rocky for the two of them, I would say, with the spoon feeding Gortat for baskets thing and Gortat kind of promoting everybody eats and, and all that stuff. Uh, so it's just nice that they can kind of come together and be better than any kind of petty basketball stuff. And Gortat really kind of tried to have Walls back there. So I appreciate that. And Hopefully Wall appreciates it. And, and maybe that's something we can look forward to longer term as a friendly reunion between those two guys. As always, if you like what we're doing with the podcast, please leave us a review and always submit us questions, comments, any of that stuff. You can find us on social media at Believe in Wizards. Happy to take anything you guys want us to talk about. And we'll try to address on the show. Maybe we'll do another mailbag here as we get ready for the season. But first, just before we get into our conversation with Kevin, a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, let's get to our conversation with Kevin. All right, pleased to bring on Mr. Kevin Broom. Kevin, how's it going? Good. How about you? And you know, it's the doldrums here, the the summer, uh, the dog days of summer. We've got some FIBA basketball on, which is the only thing keeping me sane at the moment. But uh, I'm just happy to talk a little bit of wizard stuff here. Although I have a few random uh, random anecdotes here for you that aren't wizards related at all. Oh, so all right, I'm, should, uh, I'm good with uh, random anecdotes that are not wizards related. Yeah, uh, I'd say we'd share a love fest with uh, Terry Taylor, uh, the Pacers, six foot four-ish power forward, basically. Power forward uh, center, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, small ball five, like the smallest ball five ever. Uh, you probably have bigger centers in your pickup game at the YMCA, but... Uh, he, he, he reminds works. me a little, in, just in terms of size. Remember Georgetown used to do that with um, Perry McDonald, yep. where they had, um, he was like 6'4", and they played him at center for, and he, he was an effective college player. Could not do that in any higher level, but he was an effective college player. They basically had that this year with Aminu Muhammad, their freshman, who was like a six foot five, like bowling ball of energy, but he can't shoot, doesn't really dribble that well, but yeah. um, he was just like an energy machine. Perfect. Uh, so, you know, we, we've talked about Terry Taylor with them and just, I think the Pacers are doing what I kind of would hope the Wizards had done, which is just like, hey, we're not going to win with this core. Like, let's tear it down. Let's get pieces and people and just try to like upgrade with our young assets and and start this thing over again. And the Wizards aren't going to do that, but it does make me a little bit jealous about what the Pacers are doing. And, and these kind of two stories I've heard recently I just want to get your take on them. So they're both kind of Benedict Matherin related. And, and I was pretty high on Matherin, I think slightly higher than you. You had him top 10-ish, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I think I had him like seventh or eighth or something like that. So yeah, yeah. I, and I had him five. So like we're in the same ballpark. So I thought this was really interesting. So the Pacers do this drill during their workouts uh, for, for prospects where you have to make a certain amount of threes in a certain amount of time. And if you do, you get to ring this bell after. 
there's something Rick Carlisle has brought with him, like wherever he's gone. And then maybe it even started all the way back, like in his Celtics days. So Matherin came up like one short of getting the right amount to ring the bell before time expired. So I guess they kind of wine and dine certain prospects they want. They take him out to dinner and it's like six hours later and he's kind of quiet at dinner. And he finally just like stops everybody and he looks at Carlisle and he's like, hey, man, I'm like really bent out of shape about not being able to pass this drill. Can I get another crack at it? And like, well, I mean, we could try to bring you back in for like another workout later in the process. He's like, no, tonight. Like, can we <laughs> stop dinner? I get my gear and we go all go back to the facility so I can ring the bell. And Carlisle was like, yeah, okay. So yeah. They, they all gear up. They go back to the facility. He passes with ease this time and he gets to ring the bell. If I'm like uh, an NBA GM and that happens to me with a player, I'm rock hard, like instantly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the dream come true. Not that I'm not saying like Johnny Davis isn't that competitive or whatever, but like if I'm him, I almost maybe don't pass the first time on purpose just so I can do that move. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason that they took him where they took him. Um, but yeah. I just thought that was a really cool story. Yeah. I love that. I love that kind of stuff where guys, you know, with something, some drill that they've never done before, maybe, or maybe if, you know, his agent probably knows whatever sure. he probably practiced it. And he's just like, it's just eating him up that he couldn't finish it. So he's like, you know what, I'm, let's go back and do it again. Yeah. I like that. It sounds like a lot of these things are pretty set, maybe not with like a team specifically, but like a coaching staff or an organizational staff. And you hear about the Wizards with their kind of, um, you know, conditioning test that's sort of legendary, apparently. Like this to me was like a little bit of like the Troy Brown comes in and draws up a play uh, thing, you know, like it's just, um, you know, a GM aphrodisiac here. But I just thought that was kind of neat. So. Anyway, that parlayed into the well, second. It, 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 so it, it does remind me real quick of a, of a Washington football team mm, story. Okay. And that was when they had uh, drafted Mark Rippon. Okay. Um, and the story goes that they were walking across, apparently at, at the old um, training facility, they had like a outdoor basketball courts that they walked across on, on the way. And they were sort of end to end. And they're walking across like the far end of one of the courts. The, of the courts. And um, the coach um, says to... Um, the quarterbacks, it's like, you know, hit the backboard, right? Just they've got the balls, so right? Hit the backboard, try to hit the square. Mm-hmm. And so Rippon goes first and he loads up and uncorks a two lengths of two basketball fields, uh, basketball courts distance, uncorks. And they say, well, did he hit the backboard? And apparently he just barely missed knocking it down. I mean, he just, he hit the backboard and he, they were like, well, it sort of took the suspense out of the arm strength yeah. tests later. So, yeah, that's what that kind of reminds me of. Because Rippon thought he meant the far one, not right. the one that was like right next to them. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that that's the uh, Kyle Bowler off one knee from the 60 yard, you know, the, from yeah, 60 yeah. yards out. Like, you know, just yeah. things where like everyone else in the front office looks around and is like, holy shit. Yeah, um, yeah. But if if you're an old Larry Bird, you know, buddy like Rick Carlisle and you're old school and shit like that, I, I'm sure that that was like. Even if we have to trade up to get this guy, we're going to get this guy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Carlisle liked him so much and wanted him to be successful. And Carlisle's not the guy known for like overindulging rookies and things like that. But he did something I heard at Summer League that I thought was so interesting and so smart. And they took plays 
from the Arizona playbook that were designed specifically for Benedict Matherin on, on the Arizona team. And they put them into their summer league offense. And a lot of these summer league teams are trying to run things, uh, either new stuff that the, the organization wants to try out for next year, or just like their sort of typical sets, but they wanted him to be so comfortable and have such a smooth transition that they were like, we are going to run these plays specifically for you to make you feel comfortable and you make you look good. And, and I bring this all the way around to say, then you look at what the Wizards did and you've got the GM and the coach saying different things about what position Johnny Davis is going to actually play. They're putting him around like these 27 year old, um, like non NBA caliber point guards who aren't really point guards. And it's just one organization's rookie looked very good because they made sure he would look very good and set him up mm-hmm. to be successful. And then you have what the wizards do. I just want to yeah. get your take on that. Well, uh, man, I go in a lot of directions with that. One is this, that Rick Carlisle is not known for his um, emotional or, you know, his first EQ, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, him thinking, Hmm, it's tough love. Let's, yeah. So, and also not known for his, his fine treatment of rookies. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, that that is interesting, especially, I mean, it could have been a sort of a twofer in the sense that they know the Arizona playbook and maybe there were some concepts there that they liked sure. or that, that they have in their playbook and they figured, why not just call it the same thing and execute it the same way? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, was, it may have been easy. But the, the point is, though, that they still, they thought about it, right? They thought about what is it that we can do to make our rookie be comfortable, look good, build confidence, and then they, they did it. Right. And it doesn't there's nothing that the Wizards did that gave gave any suggestion that they gave that thought about Johnny Davis or, you know, Denny Avdia last year or mm-hmm. Rui Hachimura the year before or Corey Kispert or really anybody. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like when's the last time we had like a Wizards rookie who just, you know, blew up, who did like Keegan Murray did. And then Rice Jr. Of- in the second summer league, who Glenn who? Rice Jr. That's it. Yeah, well, yeah, Glenn Rice Jr. Right, and it turns out he couldn't play in the NBA, but you know, not really. And so, but still, I, yeah, Glenn Rice Jr. is probably the last one, and that was a long time ago, you know. And so it's it it is one of those things where it's like it's you know you can plan for these things. It's really okay to plan. <laughs> I, I was like literally just like shaking my fist at my phone as I was listening to somebody tell this anecdote. So anyway, yeah, it was, yeah. that's a, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, notes for next year, Tommy Shepard, whoever we yeah. draft, let's run some plays for him. And yeah. uh, Arizona's offense last year was basically the ball screen continuity offense that Gonzaga's run for the last decade. So the wizards actually could have run probably those same couple plays um, and for Kispert <laughs> well, and Rui um, yeah. and all them and been fine. And it's it's kind of funny to think though that what if like the Wizards actually did that plan with Johnny Davis and that was still what he did? Yeah, that would, because that that's the kind of player he is. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying what if they actually did this year? Yeah, I, I I I'm gonna hope that that's not the case. Oh, maybe they tried. Whatever it was, it was not successful. Um, no. So no. I, I'm going to blame that on maybe not having the personnel around him to do that. So yeah, that could be that. That's that my be. hope. <laughs> uh, I didn't think about that. That's a fingers crossed moment that that was not what they did. Although <laughs> yes. uh, Wisconsin's got a very kind of weird system. So probably yeah. harder to translate. I, I don't know. Let's hope. All right. The next thing I got for you here, just kind of a thought exercise, two teams. I want to get your take on which one would win in a seven game series. 
how many games you think it would take and why you would take them. So team number one is John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter Jr., Markeith Morris, and Marcin Gortat. And team two is Gilbert Arenas, Larry Hughes, Karan Butler, Anton Jameson, and Brendan Haywood. Hmm. So uh, who's coaching? Eddie Jordan for uh, Team Marinas? And, uh, That's a good point. Who, who you got for, uh, for uh, Team Wall, Beal? I will give you your pick of either Randy Whitman or Scott Brooks. Uh, uh, let's go Scott Brooks because he had Scott Brooks actually won 49 games with them and got to the second round. What a couple times, right? Yep. Uh, or was it just once? So they got uh, once with Whitman. Once Whitman with got Brooks. second round once. Yeah. Okay. So they both got as far as the other did uh, in the playoffs. So let's go Brooks just because like I said, he won 49 games with them and uh, you know, Eddie Jordan has to be the other coach. So with that group, I would, and we're talking about peak forms for each. Yep. I would probably go with the um, the uh, the the Wall Beal Porter, um, Markeith Morris, Marching Gortat combo. Um, How many games? I think. I mean, I think it's a six or seven game series. Yeah. I think it's a close series yeah. um, because you've got guys who pretty much all peaked at about the same level. Um, really up and down across the board. Now, Jamison definitely peaked higher than, than Markeith Morris did, but um, you know, that wall Beal Porter synergy was really good. Porter would um, is sort of the wild card there um, because, you know, he, he was just, he's the deadliest shooter of all those guys. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, And I think that Gortat was just better player than Haywood was. And I think the other thing is, is that the, um, the player with the biggest weakness out there is Marquise. Is um, pardon me, is Antoine Jameson. And, Defensively, um, yeah, yeah it's just he can't guard anybody. And now, true, he, you could stick him on Marquise Morris, and Morris is likely to just miss, you know, hit or miss, right? But over the course of a seven-game series, I think you know it's going to be enough. And Jameson is is such a poor defender that, like, you know, you really couldn't, you can't hide him out there with with the the guys that, uh, you know, with Walt Beal, Porter, <laughs> Morris. So that's, that's where I would go with it. And then also um, in terms of the coaching, you know, if I'm, if we're going Scott Brooks and Eddie Jordan, um, we know that um, Eddie's going to run a good offense and that they're not going to defend worth a damn. He's going to tell them to gamble on everything possible. Yeah, and- they'll, they'll, he'll, he'll encourage the, the, you know, he thinks steals are good defense and stuff. I mean, he did lead the league in steals once. So, um, and, uh, but, and, and Brooks, not a great coach, but, you know, at least they'll, they'll pay attention to both ends of the floor <laughs> in the playoffs. And so, and I also think that, in like, you know, Wall was a, at his peak, was a good defender. Beal wasn't like average-ish defender. Porter was a, was a above, well above average defender. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Markeith Morris was about average. Fine, and then Gortat yeah. was probably about average as well defensively. So, you know, good enough and, and good enough that they could go. So it might come down to the benches, but I think that the, uh, the more recent guys are probably just going to win this. I think I would take team number two, the older school guys in seven. And I say that only because I think these games would be really close and it's actually like a pretty good matchup on paper. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes yeah. sense. Uh, but just clutch factor. 
Like we have a lot of running jokes about Beal in the final five minutes of games, but with good reason, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I think Arenas is like drastically the most clutch of that group. Yeah. So that's true. I, that's the only thing I think would sway me toward them that he could um, just go nuclear for a couple games on his own and just uh, and get him over the hump there. So yeah, that would be it. Would be an interesting series to to watch. Somebody should. Um, you know, build out the, put those teams together on 2k or yep. whatever and, and play them. Let's see. Any see of you, uh, younger tech savvy folks, if you want to, uh, run a Monte Carlo sim there or something of those guys <laughs> somehow and, and let us know how it goes. Uh, that would be good. All right. Uh, sort of more hypotheticals. We'll just keep it going here. The wizards were air quotes and I'm air quoting legitimately for anybody, uh, who can't see this, which is all of you other than Kevin. <laughs> uh, were interested in Donovan Mitchell and quote made a legitimate offer for him, and I don't really buy that they were ever like legitimately in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes, other than to just have a name for the Jazz to use as leverage. Maybe he's doing. I could see like Tommy Shepard and Danny Age being like good old boy buddies, and you know, doing him a solid by saying he made an offer, but. I don't think we ever really had the pieces to be legitimately in that conversation, but they miss out on Mitchell, uh, whether or not they were really in it or not. I guess the conversation turns to who are like the next potentially disgruntled stars uh, that the Wizards could keep, uh, you know, an eye on for the future and and who maybe might be slightly more attainable, if any. But I I think first I'll I'll give you an opportunity to weigh in here on their... um, the, the credibility of them being in the Mitchell sweepstakes. Well, so I think that you're kind of underselling this, that this is a really important team building strategy to almost trade for guys. <laughs> um, you know, almost trading for guys is like, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a classic important foundational strategy for a team because, you know, it shows that you're a, um, you're a, you're a player and that you're interested in players and that you, um, you're, you're, yeah, that you're interested in players. Um, so if theoretically, then players might be interested in you at some point. Right. So, you know, you're letting teams know that you're open for business that they didn't know because there are only 29 other teams. This is an uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride situation. But maybe someday, if they're a bridesmaid enough, they'll meet the right guy and be a bride. Yeah, I mean, it, this, this, is, this, is the, this is what they do, right? They almost trade for guys. They almost draft the right guy. Right. You know, they, they, but they, you know, they don't pick Kawhi Leonard. They pick Jan Vesely, right? They, they almost drafted Carl Malone, you know, <laughs> it's, it goes back a long time. I shared the link the other night um, on one of the uh, posts or something I had for people that weren't aware of Clay Thompson being the guy that Flip Saunders supposedly like politicked for. And it was like, I think I ruined a couple of people's nights because it was like, <laughs> we almost had clay, but they yeah. didn't want to take, they wanted to take the safer pick and Jan Vesely and not reach for clay Thompson. That was the actual uh, wording yep. of the quote, yeah. but yeah. Uh, let's say for argument's sake. And again, this is why I said, this is a very hypothetical. What if kind of thing, one of these people were actually on the block. Um, would the wizards be able to, even get in the running for them or, or should they want to get in the running for them? So I think everybody in the league has now turned their attention to Shea Gilgis Alexander in Oklahoma city, especially with Chet out. They want to be bad. You know, how much are they going to lean into being bad? 
you know, we'll see if they look really bad again this year, you might get to a point where he just says like, I want to win at some point in my NBA career. I was really good in one playoff run. You know, I'd like the opportunity to do that again. So that's a name. Uh, could Jalen Brown eventually just be pissed off that he's been in every trade scenario ever for every big player in the league. He's mentioned with Durant. He's mentioned with Mitchell for a brief moment there. Like, could he eventually just be like, all right, screw this shit. I think personally, and I'm going to do a preview of the Eastern conference here in another week or so, but I actually think Boston team was maybe a little bit of fool's goal last year. So if they regress next year, you know, could they shake some things up? Uh, Brandon Ingram, if Zion comes back and they just can't be on the court together, does somebody have to go? Uh, I don't know. The Clippers have been kind of weird and, who knows if Paul George will eventually just want out or something like that. Could Carl Towns hate Rudy Gobert? Cause everybody seems to hate Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to be second fiddle to Anthony Edwards. And then you just, you've heard rumblings the last couple of years about Pascal Siakam maybe wanting to move on to, from Toronto. So do any of those names make sense to you? And could they ever even theoretically actually get in the real running for any of them? Um, so yeah, I mean, they're all good players, right? Um, I don't think the Wizards have the resources to get any of them. Jalen Brown is probably the most realistic in the sense that you could see the Wizards trading like Beal for for Jalen Brown yeah, because Beal and Tatum are friends. And you could see if Brown at, wanted out and the Wizards were losing, that they there could be something. That 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 could work out there, and probably wouldn't cost the Wizards as much in terms of other draft. You know, maybe they might have to include a pick or something like that because of the difference in age, and because Boston would have to put other stuff in the deal to mm-hmm. to match up the salaries. But other than that, I don't really see. You know, like Pascal Siakam, I I like as a player. Um, I think theoretically he's a, acquirable. I also think he's. A little like overrated. I don't think he's as all world as so many. A lot of people seem to think he is. Sure. Um, you know, but I could definitely see them almost almost trading for all these guys. <laughs> That's how I was hoping you would answer this question because immediately after the Mitchell thing, it became like, okay, who as fans should we turn our attention to next? And the main reason I wanted to do that little thought exercise is just to say there probably aren't any of those guys that are realistic options for us, but I do have some names that maybe make some more sense. So let's well, just hold on be, be, before, be, before we do that, there's one other thing with that Mitchell trade and that that's been sort of ranking. So uh, rankling me. Mm-hmm. And that is that this is the trade the wizard should have made with Beal two years ago. Yeah. Right. This, this is the, you know, you get young, a couple young, good young players with, who are, you know, pretty good. Sexton's okay. You know, he's pretty good. Markkinen's pretty good. And then three picks, two swaps. That's the deal, right? When we were saying, when all all of us who were saying the Wizards should trade Beal, it wasn't just to dump him, right? It was to get that kind of a package. And it's, um, we'll see. We'll see how it works out for Utah. They've got to now do the hard part, which is to turn those picks into something. And they also, of course, have the advantage of the the major deal that they did with Gobert, but part of what the, is smart about their strategy is that they're trading these guys while they have, you know, really at the peak of their value and they're, they're doing it while still valuable. They're not doing, they're not making these trades 
at the point at which they're like, you know, their guys are broken down and yeah, from a position had, of strength, right? Not because yeah. they were their their hand was forced. And this this team was, you know, this Utah team was one of the better teams of the last five, what four, five, six years. They They've finished been in the very, first in the West two years ago. Yeah, and so that's they were certainly significantly better than like the whole Wall Beal Porter, you know, that that this this generation of Wizards has been. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they made the decision to give up, uh, you know, Mitchell, who's t- what he turns twenty six in a few days, um, and he's he's. He's very much like Beal in the sense that he's very good, but not in that like pinnacle elite. And, um, you know, I think that that difference is is critical. And Utah made the decision to trade their two like very, very good guys and get a whole bunch of assets back. And now they can try to build the team to to be a championship contender. And this is this is again, this is exactly what the Wizards should have done two years ago with Beal. The thing I like most about it is that they did it now and yeah. not not now from the sense of before it's two years too late, but now from this point in the off season, I think is huge because yeah. by getting both of those guys out of there, you've assured that you maximize how good slash bad your own draft pick is this year yeah. in a loaded draft. So they didn't wait until the break to see if Mitchell and the young guys could compete or if anybody would right. come with a slightly better offer, maybe they get one more on you know one of the picks is unprotected as opposed to protected like right. they just they said let's get Wembanyama or uh yeah. Scoot Henderson or whatever and I think that was really sh- like shrewd. And now there. I mean you know what's coming next is you know they're gonna trade Conley they'll get a uh, you know lottery protected first for him they'll trade Rudy Gay they'll trade you know it makes all the sense in the world for them to send those guys to the Lakers for um you know a cut for the two firsts that the Lakers can trade. And it'll be tough for the Lakers to, to, to do that. But, you know, you take Westbrook and then they'll probably, you know, flip Westbrook, some Westbrook someplace and get another first, you know, just because that's what, you know, they'll play him for 15 games. He'll be good. And they'll, they'll find someplace else, or they'll just buy him out and let him go home. And, but, you know, this is, again, this is like the strategy that the wizards should approve. You trade Beal, you know, they should have traded Bertans um, for that first round pick when they had the chance. And, you know, this is before they gave him the five years, $80 million. And anyway, that that's, that's my rant is that this is the deal. This is the deal. And Beal certainly two years ago would have, would have commanded that kind of a deal at this point, you know, he's paid every penny you possibly can. He's not getting you that plus he's 29. So I think when you have an established GM and an owner who are on the same page about like, we are going to be willing to do this and rebuild, and there's a track record of success doing that, teams are much more likely to do that when instead of if you're the Wizards, you're, you know, grasping at mediocrity just so you don't bottom out. And it's like, yeah. you know, what are you really hanging on to here? But yeah. they have committed to a path. So if they're going to go down the path that they're going to and try to win, um, how could they beef up this roster? So I guess first, do any of these jazz guys interest you and could they be realistic targets for the wizards? You've got Mike Conley who averaged like 14 and five last year and shot over 41%, but looked slow ish and bad defensively. In my opinion, uh, you've got Bojan who still averaged 18 and four, 40% ish from three, but again, slowed down considerably defensively. Um, Malik Beasley, who was not particularly good um, for them last year, but in 50-ish games the previous season, he averaged 20 points a game. 
uh, as you know, a kind of a fringe starter shooting guard. Rudy Gay has really trailed off in the last couple of years. If this was yeah. like 2018 Rudy Gay, uh, that might actually be the name on here that appeals to me a little bit. But he was like eight and four last year and in, in, you know, not many games. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who I have always liked and been really high on. And I have summer league tweets from his first summer league saying this guy is going to be a really good NBA player that I got laughed at. So I do have receipts in this case. V- Vanderbilt, by the way, I, I I like a lot. I Yeah. So and I, he could help the Wizards. Um, you'd have to, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if they could because he would they would have to sit down like Hachimura or something. <laughs> can't do uh-huh. that. Could could you put him out there next to Denny and just let them be the Bash brothers with people? Nobody can yeah. shoot, but we'll just um we'll just try to defend really hard and probably foul a lot. But I yeah. would still be okay with that. Uh, you, you've got so Vander uh, Vanderbilt was seven points, eight and a half rebounds, but a bunch of steals and blocks, and you know like really active, pretty good foul rate actually last year, all things considered. Yeah, good de- good defender too. Yeah, um, good, just like super energy tough guy kind of stuff which i think the wizards could use and actually makes he, sense he, next to porzingis he's like the player that eddie jordan thought uh, michael ruffin was right <laughs> exactly yeah he's like the dominic mcguire um you know michael ruffin hybrid you know <laughs> like just yeah except except he's like actually good like except, you know he right, can right. actually make a layup unlike say ruffin and uh you know he can he's actually like a really good defender and unlike no, no, but anyway, go ahead. Anyway, um, Michael Ruffin just catching strays here like 10 years after the fact. <laughs> Here's the thing, too. I like Ruffin. Um, I used to talk to him, but yeah, I used good to dude. games on Press Pass, and he's really, he's crazy smart. Um, mm-hmm. Had his de- degree in engineering. Um, and so, yeah, very smart guy, really nice guy. And I loved talking with him. I liked him a lot. So I'm, I'm and I, I didn't, I didn't like his game quite as much as I liked him. So, Anyway, I think he is a coach for somebody right now. I just can't remember. I believe it. Yeah, he'd maybe, be good. Maybe New Orleans, um, but don't quote me on that. Uh, you've got Jordan Clarkson, 16 points. Really, that's kind of it. Uh, um, he just scores things a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the one on here that's kind of the least established, but maybe could be kind of one of Tommy Shepard's, like, you know, staple buy low reclamation project guys, and that's Nikhil Alexander-Walker mm-hmm. in – only 15 games last year he averaged like three points but in his total of 50 games in new orleans which he has been injury prone which is part of the problem he put up 13 three and three on like low 30s shooting Uh, yeah so i mean with walker you know my my reaction to that is i mean he was basically like replacement level mm -hmm. last season so i mean i if if you're getting him for free sure sure you know go to second second is that too is that too steep I wouldn't give a second for him. I like. I suspect that um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Utah just release him. Yeah. Well, hey, there you go. Maybe you can um, pick him up for free if you need. Or you know, give him a, a give them a, a top fifty eight protected second rounder or something. You know, top fifty eight second fifty eight. <laughs> yeah, that may never convey unless you want the draft rights. Whoever has the rights to Vladimir Veremenko these days. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do any of those jazz names interest you? And could they be like theoretical, realistic targets for the Wizards? So um, the guy who who would interest me is Conley, mm-hmm. because even at that age, he still was when he was able to play and he played 72 games last yeah. season. He was yeah. still good. Yeah, he slowed down, but he was still pretty good. And, um, you know, like a well above average uh, player. And so um 
I could certainly see him coming in and being a starter, you know, but playing like, you know, 26 minutes kind of thing. So during the regular season and then Monte Morris sort of taking over the rest or maybe even a more even split of 24-24. And then in the playoffs, maybe Conley plays a little more, something Mm -hmm. like that. I could see that. So I would have some interest. And then the I really wouldn't want that next year of his deal. Um, it is only guaranteed for 14 million, but I really like still a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's the problem with him too, is you have to send out a lot of money to be able to bring him back. So you're likely giving up Kuzma and Barton just to bring in Conley. And and I don't, I I mean, well, I, I I would be okay with that. Um, I think both Barton and in Kuzma are really replaceable, but, um, I know that that would not be a particularly popular move. Um, Bogdanovich, you know, he's he's a decent player. Like you said, he has slowed down. He, he does make shots. Two so years ago, I would have been all over this. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of scrolling through. Jordan Clarkson doesn't interest me very much. Um, you know, the, guys like him get exposed uh, when, when they have to play bigger roles, which I think, you know, obviously the Wizards would bring him off the bench. Mm-hmm. And he maybe wouldn't even have to play the full 27 minutes that he played for the for the Jazz last year off the bench. But um, I don't know. He's he's like okay. I think he's one of those guys, a little bit like a lot of those six men scorer guys, where their impact gets overstated because the eight points. Um, so who who else um, does Clarkson yeah, do who, anything for you that Barton doesn't already do for you? You know what I mean? Like I, I just see that as basically a wash. Yeah, I think that Clarkson is Barton is probably a little bit better than Clarkson so overall. Um, you know, Clarkson is probably more dynamic in the sense that he's more likely to go for 41 night um, than Barton is, but he's also like a lot more likely to have like Six. you know, three for 19 shooting in 18 minutes versus like Will <laughs> Barton's not gonna probably not gonna do that. So, uh, all um, right, the other names Malik Beasley, Rudy Gay, Jared Vanderbilt. Be- Beasley could be kind of interesting. Vanderbilt, yes, uh, yeah, I would, I would happily bring him to the Wizards and let him play. You know, I'd start him at the power forward spot, whatever, and um, just let him, let him hold that position, play his twenty six, twenty eight minutes, whatever, and bring whoever it is off the bench because I think he, he would improve their defense uh, pretty significantly. He improved their rebounding. Um, he'd certainly improve their toughness and competitiveness. So, yeah. And he just played well next to Towns, who's likely to play. Like, they're going to use Porzingis similarly to how Towns played last year. And that was what I thought was the weirdest thing about Gobert is, like, we just had our best year as a team in quite a while with Vanderbilt next to Towns at the five. So let's now move Towns to the four and bring in a bigger, slower five. I I mean, I, I get it, but I also don't get it. Uh, yeah, I think that, that the the challenge that they had was that Towns is not a good defender, and he's a, a pretty poor rim protector. They tried to do a bunch of things. Like the, their scheme was like on screens and stuff. They went hyper aggressive because mm-hmm. basically they were trying to get around the fact that Towns was a poor rim rim protector. Um, he's, he just, he, his alertness, his, his awareness, it just isn't there. And given his age and his experience at this point, it probably isn't going to come. So he's a wonderfully talented player, but it, it could be that he's, you're, you're kind of capped with him, how good you can be defensively with him in the middle. 
Um, so you go get Gobert, who's basically a one man, you know, by himself with literally like nobody else playing defense. You're still basically an average or a little bit better defense. Instant floor raiser on that end. I just think that that probably causes them some equally interesting problems, but we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, yeah. Beasley is probably the most interesting to me of that group too, even though they don't probably need another shooting guard at this point. The problem is uh, he has had some legal issues, let's say. If anyone wants to Google those, feel free to do that. I won't waste time with it here, but he probably doesn't pass Tommy Shepard's no assholes policy. So um, I, I think that might kind of rule him out immediately. This is unfortunately 2022, so Rudy Gay is not an impactful player at this point. But um, yeah, I just wanted to at least talk through their guys because they're gonna there's going to be a fire sale. So those will be people that be available and and they might at a certain point just take like slightly less just to get assets back for some of those guys. Uh, and then theoretically, I guess marketing could be available. I don't know if he appeals to you in any way. Um, marketing is good. Uh, he would probably be a modest upgrade as a power forward uh, for them, uh, you know, over everybody that they have. You know, they've just got all these like mediocre power forwards. So, uh, you know, marketing could do that. It, again, if they made that kind of a move, they would have to be willing to have somebody sit or mm -hmm. have somebody, you know, they probably have to send out Kuzma in yeah. a deal like that, which I would be okay with doing, um, you know, potentially, but it's, uh, they would have to be willing to, to play him. You'd have to give some kind of asset to them to get marketing back. So it'd be Kuzma and something. And, and that's yeah. probably where I'd, I'd balk a little bit, but like, you know, we have so few assets that, I'm not giving up a first just to bring um, yeah. marketing back in. Yeah, I don't think marketing. Well, here's the thing. I mean, there's nobody outside of like, you know, like the, an elite player who really is like a serious floor raiser for this team, right? The, this team is going to be, you know, marketing. You get marketing in place of like uh, Kuzma and Hachimura for a significant amount of minutes. And what are we talking about? Like 40 wins instead of 39. You know, it's yeah. like marketing's not going to transform the team suddenly into like a 50 win team or, you know, or better. So it, it, he's not getting into the Eastern Conference finals. He's not getting him, you know. So in that sense, it's probably not worth doing. But at the same time, it's like the, they don't have the assets to do the kind of deal it would take for them to get the, you know, the, the player that they need to, to elevate them to that level. So. If they were going to trade for a guy here, here are the guys I think that could actually raise the ceiling potentially a little bit, but also might still be attainable enough. The other team probably looking to sell off anything at this point is the San Antonio Spurs. I really like Keldon Johnson and he's good, but not quite a star. You know, he was like a 17.6 rebound, 40% three point shooter last year. Uh, and he plays a little bit. They played him a lot at the four last year, which I, I think mm -hmm. he's better as a three personally. And this team still to me, like desperately needs a three. Yeah. And I think he can shoot. I think he can defend. I think he can create a little. So that's a guy I would be really interested in. And, and maybe they have enough to actually get him. The Spurs showed some interest in Kuzma in the past. If they're trying mm -hmm. to rebuild and mentor some young guys, maybe all the elder statesman Kuzma stuff is appealing to them. So does Kuzma and a first and some flotsam get you somebody like Keldon Johnson? Um, 
I don't know, but that would, that would be somebody whose name I would be at least like making some calls about. Yeah. I mean, if I'm the Spurs, I don't think I would want to do that trade, but um, I can see why the Spurs might, uh, might do that. And Keldon Johnson would definitely be a, a huge upgrade at small forward for them. You know, he's, I think, significantly better than anyone they have. And so, yeah, I, I can agree. And he's young. He's 20. Well, he's entering his age 23 season. So uh, yeah, that would, that would make some sense. And then as long as you're doing that, might as well pick up my old Yoda favorite, uh, Keita Bates Diop. There you go. Um, he, he was actually not terrible last season. Yeah, uh, he played for, some solid uh, bench for them. For the Spurs. Didn't play a lot, but he played some and he was decent. And yeah, he had some good run in Minnesota before that too. I, that was a guy I liked coming out of the draft too. Uh, yeah. So I, again, I, I'm not saying here that there's any rumors or rumblings that this is realistic. It, it's just names that would be on my list to make calls about if I were Tommy Shepard, which yeah. I clearly am not. And I'm also not saying that Kuzma and a first gets you a deal done. It's just maybe it's two firsts or maybe it's Kispert, Kuzma, and a first. I, I don't know what. Yeah appeals to the Spurs, but it's well, the guy I wanted from the Spurs, of course, was DeJounte Murray, right. but yep. um, the, I, they uh, almost traded for him. That's right. Another almost. We were oh so close. Uh, the, the name you've heard a lot from Wizards fans, I think, is Ochi Ananobi, and there's been reporting that he's sort of very politely, um, Canadianly behind the scenes asked for a trade out mm-hmm. uh, because Barnes and Siakam all kind of play the same-ish position. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- does that appeal to you at all? Well, I like OG. He's tough. He's um, can play a few different positions. You know, he's pretty good. Um, and I can see that he he did play 36 minutes a game last season, but yeah. it's kind of like there were a, a several guys for the Raptors played like 36 plus minutes last season. And he was, he was one of them because guys kept getting hurt probably because they were playing so many minutes. And um, uh, so yeah, that's that's an interesting name. I, if the Wizards could get him again, it's a question of like, what do you what do you give up to get him? But um, you know, as a forward, he's an upgrade over what they have. So, depending on the what the deal is, I could he would he's somebody who would help them. So, and this is another one of those organizations that just do things better than the Wizards. I was yeah. watching. I don't. I'm not the person that buys into workout videos much. But uh, Scotty Barnes had this off-season vlog series that he's doing. You can find it on YouTube if you're interested for anybody listening. But it was basically just about what he's working on, how he's working. First of all, he looks insane. And they're playing in like the Rico Hines runs out in LA. And they're like demanding that their five guys that are there all play together, which is interesting. And other teams aren't doing that. But I, I think it's it's a really smart move for a team yeah. like that with young guys and and Barnes looks insane. The shot mm-hmm. looks like drastically different and I was out on him compared to some of the other guys just because I, I thought it would be years before the shooting worked out but uh, I think he's going to be monstrous next year so you know if he comes like out of the gates looking like an all-star maybe that OG becomes more expendable uh, another wing here Gordon Hayward is that anybody you would kick the tires on or does the injury and the contract and all that stuff kind of scare you off completely? He's expensive. Um, he was decent last season, you know, a little bit above average. He's not somebody I could see really moving the needle because he is entering age 32. He's expensive, like I said, and you know, he's never, he's, he's been pretty good since he got back from that 
you know, horrible leg injury, mm-hmm. but definitely lost, um, you know, a step or two. Um, still, like I said, still a pretty good player though. Um, it's, it's fascinating that he keeps, you know, getting these massive contracts, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I could see that. Um, I could see that, uh, again, it depends on what you give up to get him. Sure. Um, and at his salary, you'd probably have to give up quite a bit. So I just have a feeling that Charlotte's going to be bad this year, like bad, bad. And at a certain point, do you want to pay all those guys to be bad, bad? I, I wouldn't think so. So if somebody, see, if, if, if I were, so if it's a fire sale from, from Charlotte, the guy I'd probably want is Terry Rozier actually. Yeah. That would be interesting too. I, I think he makes a lot of sense with this team and would have been probably the first name or two. I, I tried to call around about this off season if I were them. Yeah. And he's not on the same timeline uh, age wise as the, right. as the, the Hornets are. I mean, yeah, the Hornets, uh, but he is on the same timeline of the Wizards, which are in their win now mode. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, we've talked about John Collins, like you and I specifically have talked about mm-hmm. Collins before. And I, I just don't know that they're going to trade him at this point. So probably not worth rehashing. Yeah. Uh, but I did have him on my list. Miles uh, Turner, like, are we are we set with our center forward rotation at this point? Like, could we use another big? Uh, could you play Turner and Porzingis together? Is that bad? Like, just is he worth making a call about if Indy decides to fire sale? Uh, if we can get Terry Taylor as a throw-in, there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one, I Miles Turner is a decent player. You know, he's he's pretty good. So if you're trading doing some deal where you end up with like, you're putting Gafford in the deal or you're trading him elsewhere for something. Sure. Um, and I, I think that I don't, I don't know if you can play him in uh, Porzingis. I guess you can, because Porzingis can play on the perimeter. You can still, you know, Tur- Turner can go out, play on the perimeter a little bit. Their D their rebounding might be a little suspect, yeah. but uh, you know, Turner is at least a, a good defender and, mm-hmm. you know, inside the good, good rim protector, et cetera. So um, better at that uh, is best we can tell for than than Gafford is. So he, it would be a, a bit of an upgrade there, probably. Um, yeah. So if you're trading for him, he's still pretty young. He's just entering his age 26 uh, season. But if you're trading for him, it would be an interesting question to see whether you know do you start him and Porzingis together, bring like Kuzma off the bench, or start Kuzma at the other forward and mm-hmm. have sort of we'll a stagger, yeah. you know the the a, a bigger group uh to start the to start the game i don't know it's an interesting question he was a name i like it probably doesn't make much sense but when you hear like the things that like the lakers are supposedly rumored to be offering indy it's like well we could actually beat that and yeah. if he would be an upgrade you at least make the call uh yeah. the, the last one i have here i'm gonna say for personal reasons i wouldn't like this because he is like basically a member of QAnon at this point. Um, but I love his game and that's Jonathan Isaac mm. in uh, Orlando. Yeah. And he hasn't played since the 2019, 2020 season, but in those 34 games, he was like 12, seven, uh, two and a half blocks, one and a half steals and shot like 35% from three and was mm. like an elite defender. And you could honestly like have him guard two through five, I think. Mm -hmm. And like respectably, I think he would be like the ideal fit for this team from a game perspective. And if I'm Orlando, a guy sat the last two years out with an ACL injury, the cost might be pretty low between him, Wagner and Bancaro. Like 
you can't, they've got Chumo, Kiki, like all mm. these guys aren't going to play. And he's now the old guy of that rotation. And by yeah. the way, he's still young and makes sense for us. So um, what do you think of Isaac's game, I guess? So I like his game. Um, you know, he was showing a lot of promise. He was having the best season of his career for sure until he, until he blew his knee out. So uh, again, it's a, what's the acquisition cost. If you're giving up, not a lot for him. Sure. Um, it's definitely worth a chance. And that that would be a nice kind of reclamation project. Um, I would prefer to take a shot like that than I would say with a TJ Warren, who basically, you know, really only had like one, a pretty short, good stretch mm-hmm. and um, then got hurt. So of of these names of guys that might be tradable at some point this year, he's probably the one that's both most realistic to me and both most interesting. So uh, if if I'm Tommy, I'm, I'm getting real friendly with the front office down in Orlando right now. A couple golfing yeah. trips, taking him out for for some dinner, and, and I'm seeing where I'm at. Yeah, trip to Epcot, whatever whatever you want. That's exactly Hollywood right. Studios. That's the that's the that's the move. Okay, another couple just young reclamation guys here, and I'm going to throw the whole list out at you rapid fire. You tell me if any of them make any sense to you. I've got Moses Brown, who is just a ginormous slow human. You've I'm got, shaking my head no. Yeah, <laughs> for anybody wondering, that was this on TV. <laughs> that was quick and emphatic. Uh, Sharif Cooper, who is like five ten, an otherworldly passer, but he's little and doesn't shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as exciting to me personally, and there's a reason why. As a, I think he was a late first round pick. The the Hawks have basically already given up on him. Yeah, Jarrett Culver, a top ten pick, six foot six, bouncy, was really pretty solid. I thought as a rookie. And then got kind of progressively worse each of the last two years. He averaged like three points and one rebound last year. Uh, yeah, it's a little concerning with Culver that he's regressing yeah. at a place like Memphis where everyone else gets better. <laughs> yeah, everyone else seems to get better. Yeah, uh, that would worry me too. These next two guys, I was like really into this Mississippi State team in the draft two years ago, but both Reggie Perry kind of a stretch big and Robert Woodard, who I really, really liked pre-draft. And for whatever reason, just like never got a shot in Sacramento. Perry played a little bit for Brooklyn, but mm-hmm. uh, not much. And just seems like he kind of didn't really fit their timeline. Yeah. With Perry, Perry, that does interest me a little bit. Where is he now? Um, because he's he... not, he's not on a team at the moment. Okay. Uh, it's a, uh, he's I, somebody who does interest me a little. All of these guys that I've just mentioned, to my understanding, unless there has been some secret signing that didn't make the news, are unsigned at the moment. So these would be guys, if you said like Vernon Carey doesn't make sense for us anymore, he had a bad camp, we're cutting him. These are dudes you could maybe fill out the last spot with. And and honestly, Cooper, Perry, Woodard are guys you could actually get on a two-way realistically, I think. And that might yeah. even make more sense. Here's a name yeah. I think you're going to like, Nate Hinton. Um, yeah. We liked Nate a lot pre-draft. Yeah, I did. Uh, Nate was is an interesting guy because he 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 rebounded like crazy at the University of Houston, and um, he he has not translated that to the NBA yet. But he's still pretty uh, fairly young, so I would uh, be willing to bring him in, uh, especially you know G League kind of contract that sort mm-hmm. of thing, whatever. But um, yeah, he has not uh, not not done what I had hoped he would do as a pro. That's for sure one of his fellow Houston alums that I liked post-draft, but I wasn't sure what position he was, was Armani Brooks. Mm-hmm. And Brooks was a guy that's like, he's basically like a six foot three, two guard, but he's a 
three and D uh, guard, basically. Like he, he is a, he was a really good college defender as honestly, most Telvin Sampson guards are at this point, but he's played 74 NBA games at this point, averaged seven points, two rebounds, two assists and shot like 34% from three. He was yeah. really good for a stretch in Houston where he just hit a bunch of threes and guarded the shit out of other people's guards, like the yeah. Jose Alvarado model, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was on a Wizard Summer League team his uh, rookie year. So they've yeah. got some familiarity. I, I kick the tires on him. Um, I, I've sort of stealth watched, not stealth tracked him, yeah. you know, just sort of as I scroll through the uh, my list of players that, you know, he's somebody that I will catch on his name sometimes and will probably just because I like his name. Uh, the last one, Dennis Smith Jr. Any? No, uh, no. We're okay. We'll keep. I think. Over. I think uh, we've we've pretty well. We we know at this point that Dennis Smith is not going to be a um, quality NBA player. I mean, Another he, guy he that was got actually he. I, that said, I mean, before I go too far with that, let me say he was actually overall like kind of almost okay for Portland last season, yeah. but he was still. Oh, hold on. Uh, I've got the number right here in front of me. Yeah. 12 points per hundred possessions, less efficient than average. And that was like him playing better than he really has at ever, any point in his career. So I would just pass. If they went the total opposite direction and had a roster spot and filled it out with a veteran, again, I'm going to rapid fire some names off for you here. Do any of these interest you? You've got Carmelo Anthony, no. Lam- LaMarcus Aldridge. No. DJ Augustine. No. Avery Bradley. No. <laughs> God, no. Ed Davis. Uh, no. Yeah. Blake Griffin. No. James Johnson. No. Paul Millsap. A little bit. Um, with Millsap, not to, to play, but just with Millsap, the, the kind of work that he had to do to be a successful player as you know, a little bit undersized, that kind of thing. I think that that's a good thing. He can really communicate with, with these younger guys um, how to and work. about how, how to work, how to improve, how to go from, you know, in his case, a second round pick to an all-star. You know? and, and by the way, most of these guys, I mean, to not be, uh, productive on court but essentially as you point out before we recorded i like another vet along alongside yeah. Todd gibson yeah i mean with a guy like carmelo anthony i just don't see for example like what, what is he going to shoot impart, every time you right? touch it <laughs> yeah it's like I, I i just don't see anything that he can do you know avery bradley was a guy i gotta say i kept looking at throughout his career and you know people would rave about his defense and then i would look and i would say well his teams are always better defensively when he's not on the floor. Mm-hmm. But how does it make any sense that he's like this otherworldly defender when his teams are literally always better when he's he's sitting and um, he doesn't shoot well or handle the ball or do anything like that? And it's like so. Um, at any rate, that that's kind of where, where we are with these <laughs> these guys. So, who, who, do you have any more on the on the uh, list? One that was mildly interesting to me. It would still be a no for me, but. You heard a lot from KCP and Kuzma this year talk about they raved about the veteran that taught them how to watch film and be smart and be a pro was Rajon Rondo. Mm-hmm. And Rondo is currently unsigned. He was kind of just bad uh, in his games last year for Cleveland, with like five mm-hmm. points, three rebounds, four assists, 
uh, in like 40 ish games between the Lakers and Cleveland, but could, could he be that coach off the court kind of thing? I, I don't know. He also was a dickhead in a couple stops. So uh, it could be worse if he's like suddenly not playing at all. And he thinks he's coming here to play. Yeah. I think if you have the conversation with him and you make it clear, you're not going to be playing that your role here is basically a highly paid assistant coach. And what we want you to do is to get out there to get in these guys ears and to teach them how to be pros. Okay. That's I, that I'd be okay. And that's really kind of true with all of these guys is you don't really want any of these guys to play um, I, like, but uh, somebody like Carmelo, there's just no reason for him to come here. If, um, if that's what, if, if that's his role, he, I think still sees himself as somebody who can play. If like Paul Millsap, if he could be your Udonis Haslam and play a few minutes, if Porzingis got hurt or whatever, you know, something like that's more appealing to me. See, so, but here's the thing. And I'll say this, that I'm not convinced that like bringing in a veteran from somewhere else had, you know, who's like older, that, that really adds very much to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, like Paul Pierce making his appearance didn't, didn't like m- impart a lasting influence on the, on the franchise. He came in, he made a, made a big shot. He called game and then he left and he went somewhere else. Um, so I, I think the value of like Udonis Haslam is that he's been there for, you know, since all, some of these guys before some of these guys who he's are the now thread through all those different iterations of teams. And so when you, when you have a guy who's been through sure. championships and who has played a major role and came from nothing and, you know, he's sticking around and he's talking about that kind of thing. And he can really, he's sort of like an enforcer of the culture and a teacher of the culture and the teacher of what it means to work, what it means to be a Miami Heat, to the, the Heat way. You know, Monty Morris made the thing about the, the Wizards' way, Ugh. and the, the Wizards don't have a way, right? And so you bring in Taj Gibson, for example, you know, and he's a good guy, and, I, you know, he's apparently got good leadership and all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, that's fine, but he's not going to play. And so if he's not going to play, it's like how do you command respect? How do you – impart that knowledge in how do you, how do you get through, get a message across when the players are looking, you're looking at the players you're trying to say, no, you should be doing it this way are also busting your ass in practice because they're younger and they're just better, you know? And like I say, with Haslam, you can do that because everybody knows that Haslam has been there for 20 years. And so, you know, he's older than some of his, he's, his playing career is older than some of his teammates. Right. And so, <laughs> You bring in a veteran for leadership. Okay. Uh, it's fine. It's just like, how is he going to influence the culture in a way that translates to wins and in a way that translates beyond the, the, the one season that he's going to be in. Yeah. I think that's the important part for me. I uh, like overall, I, I would say, I think it can be really impactful to have a meaningful vet because you, you do hear, you did hear a lot of those guys immediately after say that Rasul Butler and Paul Pierce taught them a lot. I think the large problem is none of those guys that they taught for that one year stuck around for more than another season or two. So it's well, like, it, yeah, it doesn't help the organization long-term. It might help those individual players in their next stop. And, well, and then, see, that's part of the issue too, is like, so Rasul Butler, you know, I, maybe he would have been a lot more, he would have been a help and would have been a more lasting impact if 
the players that they'd been teaching were better. You know, it always comes back to to talent, right? And you know, it it could be that, that like leadership can be great if you have like super talented players who are willing to buy in and do things, and then will take those lessons and continue to apply them. But it's like you know. Who taught Kevin Garnett to be like a psychotic competitor? Just right? had it. Yeah. Who was the veteran leader? Wally Zerbiak? Uh, you know, was it Flip who taught him? This high school. And then, sure. yeah, it's like, you know, he, Kevin Kevin Garnett. I mean, who taught Kobe Bryant to mm-hmm. be the psychotic competitor that he was? Who taught Michael Jordan to be the psychotic cutter, you know, competitor that he was? Or Magic or Bird or, you know, all these guys who these great players. It's, it's, um, I, I would argue that some of that is just like the personality of the players. I think anybody that listens to this show every week probably is tired of me telling this one same story over and over again, but I do think it's interesting. And it was how Rasul Butler took Otto Porter every day after practice and said, we will get up X amount of shots until you can actually shoot an NBA three. Mm-hmm. And I think you need a couple guys on the team that will do that. And the more yeah. young guys you have, the more, older guys to balance that out. And I think it sounds like Kuzma does that, you know, maybe Tosh Gibson will do that. But to your point, if you're totally cooked and like you had to have had some amount of cachet where these younger guys were familiar with you as a player or your name at least carries enough weight. I don't know if Tosh Gibson was ever good enough as a player that any of the young guys will give a shit about what he says if they're busting his ass in practice. Yeah. But if you're, LaMarcus Aldridge and you're a fringe hall of famer. Does that carry a little bit more weight from a young guy, you know, listening to you on the bench? I I don't know, but I do think those kinds of things are interesting at least. Yeah. And with Rasul, he was also helped by that like hot streak he had for what, about two weeks where he played two, three weeks where he was like, just torched everything. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that gets people's attention, you know, let's go work on our shot. Well, okay. You're the guy who never misses. So. Uh, and I think like the Vince Carter one was interesting too. Like even at 40, he couldn't really do much anymore, but all those guys said like Carter was huge for them uh, as a veteran presence, but they also all remembered Vince Carter, you know, it's, it's not, um, fringe starting power forward on decent playoff teams kind of guy. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, the wizards will eventually inevitably add another young player in next year's draft. So we've been continuing just our names to pay attention to for people with our prospect profile. Kevin, you were extremely high on Keegan Murray, which looked very good after summer league. So uh, kudos on the early win there. If you want to take a summer league victory lap, I won't blame you. Well, my position on summer league has long been, it doesn't really matter all that much. And so I will remain consistent with that and say that while it's encouraging that, uh, Keegan had a terrific summer league. You know, if if a Wizards player had played like that, <laughs> I think people would be really excited about uh, that guy entering the, the the season. You know, he he's a rookie; he'll take his lumps. But uh, I thought before that he was going to be a good pro, and summer league did nothing to dissuade me from that. So, luckily, uh, we missed on Keegan Murray because we just weren't willing to bottom out last year. But we could potentially get another chance at adding almost the exact same uh, player. And that's his twin brother, Chris Murray. Uh, he's also six foot eight, maybe a little bit bigger than Keegan. He looks a little bulkier to me, but that could just be an optical illusion. He'll be a junior at Iowa this year, probably the focal point of their offense, I, I would have to guess. 
It does mean he'll be just below, like almost 23 on draft night, which is a little, you know, starting to dip in that realm where people raise their eyebrows a little bit. But uh, last year he averaged uh, just under 10 points, four rebounds, and, uh, you know, not bad. But his per 36, 19 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, 38 and a half percent from three. The free throw shooting, not ideal, 64 and a half percent. Um, his offensive mm-hmm. rating was 122, and they were really good when he and Keegan were on the court together. His defensive rating, uh, 97.8, not very good, uh, and was especially not very good when Keegan wasn't on the court with him. But, you know, if no, not, is, 97.8 is a good defensive rating, 97.8 is a very good defensive rating. So uh, uh, in college ball, it would think? probably be like, you know, 110, 112 would be average. Uh, okay. I was thinking that was bad defensive rating, but we'll take it. I mm, trust no, you on the front. Okay. Well, then there you go. It's even better. Um, Tankathon so, listed um, him as a bad defender. So I, I don't, okay. I, I will, I will yield to your judgment there, but, um, I, I think he, he's, yeah. a, he's uh, a I mean, I'm just looking the at the numbers here. So, okay. Yeah. yeah do, do you have him in, in Yoda already? I do not. Um, okay. I, um, so I have not run him through just eyeballing the numbers. I mean, obviously he came off the bench. Yep. Um, his numbers are actually pretty huge uh, for, you know, a guy coming off the bench. So I look at it per hundred possessions okay. and we're talking about almost 31 points, 13 and a half rebounds per hundred possessions, which is, that's really excellent. Three and 3.4 assists, 2.6 steals, 2.8 blocks. Um, fouls a lot, which will, will hurt his defense. Seven point nine fouls per hundred possessions, so he's got to get control of that. But um, what this looks like, what this profiles as, is a guy who is like really active. He took ten threes per hundred possessions, which is uh, high. Shot a decent percentage, as you you'd noted. And so, I mean, this is a guy who looks like really active, um, you know, aggressive about looking for his shot and looking for looking for his you know, for his opportunities. And, you know, he produces a lot on, on defense that, you know, what's that five, five point, <clears throat> excuse me, 5.4 stocks, uh, yeah. you know, blocks and steals. Uh, that's pretty good per hundred possessions again. So yeah, he fouls too much. Um, some of that could have been just because he was coming off the bench. You know, sometimes uh, players foul more when they're coming off the bench. A little spazzier when they're, um, yeah, some, and some of the, but this is this is a guy who looks like a really active player, um, so I'd be I'd I'd be very intrigued to see what he does uh, next season. I think I I looked at it per thirty six, but the similar premise like per thirty six, he and Keegan next to each other were like Keegan was slightly better, but only kind of slightly. And I think Chris Murray was actually kind of like better as a facilitator and things like that. He was mostly passing to Keegan uh, in those situations, but it, it still worked out pretty good. He's a big dude and he's pretty coordinated. I think maybe a little less active, but he also, like I said, looked a little bulkier. So maybe that's, um, he could shed a couple LBs and, and get some of that extra oomph, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but plays hard, coordinated, can shoot it, really good transition offense. He makes a lot of shots off screens. He's good in post-up situations. It's a lot of what you got from Keegan Murray. So I, I think he's projected to be a first-round pick this year. And a lot of people have him as like a sleeper for being like a huge, maybe a Big Ten player of the year candidate kind of thing, that kind of jump. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like I say, what he does, um, 
he looks intriguing to me based on what I see in the numbers here. And again, I'm just looking at those that, um, you know, the, the per hundred possessions and, you know, it's pretty high usage, pretty good, very good efficiency. And he rebounds. He likes, I mean, it is a little bit of an advantage if he's passing basically to his brother, who is an elite shot maker, but, um, you know, you can pile up some assists that way. That's not a bad decoy to have next year either in the times that you do get out there and get the chance to shoot it. But Iowa's been very good at featuring someone offensively. They had Luca Garza two years ago. They had Keegan Murray last year. It'll likely be Chris Murray this year. And yeah. they are an explosive on- offensive team for the most part. So I think he's due to have a big year, a name for people to keep an eye on. I just figured, you know, given yeah. uh, your proclivity for Mr. Keegan Murray, we uh, we had to, had to use him for this week's uh, edition. Yeah. Well, given his, given his age, he's going to have to put up big numbers to rise up near the top of uh, the Yoda ranking. So he'll have to put up big time numbers to, to get there because I do discount for age. Yeah, the extra year would be interesting to see if he can put up like Keegan ask numbers next year, what the one year older would offset. Um, yeah. It'd be, be interesting to see. Uh, Kevin, thank you for doing this. Do you have anything coming up that you want to plug? Anything you're going to write? Any podcast episodes that you've got mapped out? Uh, We'll, we'll have an episode at some point, uh, Ron and I will. Um, I don't know. We, we, well, yeah, I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll do something. Uh, you know, the sponsors demand, <laughs> demand uh, an episode. So, but not, uh, we don't have to have another one until next week. So um, probably be next week sometime. Anything you're writing in the meantime here for Bullets Forever? Um, I'm going to do, I've got, uh, I've been doing the doppelganger series on Bullets Forever and um so I'll probably milk that for another couple articles. I'll do uh, Delon Wright. He's sort of the last mainstay. I might run Taj Gibson just for the heck of it. I think that would be funny <clears throat> to see at least. Yeah, um, it's going to be old guys who, uh, you know, because age is a factor. I mean, Adonis old... Haslam shows up on there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he might. That would be pretty funny if he did. Uh, so I'll do that, and then uh, I, I may put together my sort of all doppelganger machine, sort of taking the top doppelganger for each of the players. And uh, what would the wizards look like? It's sometimes helpful to um, to take that. Uh, I like it. It's not helpful. I would just say it's interesting. It's fun you know, when yeah. you when you look at the names and you're kind of like, ah. you know, which is usually the response. It could go the other way. Some of those have been pretty promising. The high end top guy, maybe yeah. some of them. I, I don't know. I'm trying. I will say one of the themes that really emerged through the doppelganger series has been the. Um, <clears throat> You'll get comps for players for the Wizards, and the name will be like you reading that list, and I'll be like, "Whoa, got that guy!" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as his comp, and then you look, and it's like, "Oh, well, this is like like Porzingis." Embiid aged, showed up as one of his twenty comps, season. Right? Yeah, and it's like Embiid before he became right. the MVP candidate, right? Or and then you get like Will Barton would get some good names, and it's like, except you know, like he had Peja Stojakovic as one of his comps. I think showed up like two or three seasons from Peja showed up in his top 10. And it's like, okay, that's nice. Except this was the Peja who was in steep age-related decline at that point. So Peja was a much better player overall, but he fell apart fast. And his falling apart looked at about the same level as like, you know, what Will Barton was doing last season. So, you know. That, that that seems to be the theme that's like running through. It's like, yeah, you get these great names that are, that show up as comps, but on years when they're having like their worst season. Sure. 
that's that seems very wizards esque. So maybe this yeah. year will be so good that next year's doppelgangers will all be uh, even better players. That's my hope for for all of them and for all of us. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll that see. would be uh, interesting, and it would be a pleasant change from the last four decades. <laughs> On that hopeful note, uh, we'll leave everybody here. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And once again, we were presented by betonline.ag. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube